Hey everyone, welcome back to Marquee Mixtape, the podcast about repertory cinema in New York City. I'm your host, Alec Rodriguez. In this episode, I'm talking to Alexander Fee, film programmer extraordinaire at Japan Society. We'll be discussing his career as a film programmer, projectionist, and video editor from Chicago to New York, including a spotlight on Japan Society's upcoming film series, Taisho Roman, Fever Dreams of the Great Rectitude, opening December 9th through the 16th. I'm trying something different with this episode. We're early enough in the pod that I'm allowing room for some experimentation. What I want to do is make this episode a two-parter. In this episode, as I mentioned, it's totally focused on my interview with Alexander Fee and his upcoming film series, Taisho Roman, at Japan Society. After the film series has wrapped on December 16, I'm going to release a follow-up episode. So part two to this part one in which I'll share my reactions to the Taisho Roman film series with a new guest that attended it with me. And I'll share later down the road who that guest is going to be. The show will continue weekly in the meantime. So that's the experiment that we're doing with this episode. Please feel free to share your thoughts or recommendations by writing to me at marqueemixtape at gmail.com. Some programming reminders, there's a companion to Marquee Mixtape the podcast, and that is Marquee Mixtape the newsletter on Substack. I write dispatches from my repertory traversals around the city and try to encourage readers to check out some of my favorite independent cinemas and screening rooms. And sometimes I transcribe filmmaker Q&As that I attend as well. If you want the Marquee Mixtape newsletter delivered to your inbox, then go to the Substack link in the show notes and sign up. My next post is going to be a write-up on the film noir repertory screenings I saw in November. New episodes of this podcast will continue to drop weekly on Fridays, and you can listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Substack. Follow Pod on Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky at Marquee Mixtape. We're also on Letterboxd, where you can find a new list for each episode containing every movie mentioned in the guest interviews. Original podcast artwork is created by the fabulous Christina Montes. She's at Studio Montes on Instagram. Original podcast music is created by the incredible Jeremy Bouyen, and you can find links to his socials in the show notes as well. I'm really excited to share this interview with you, so I'm going to take you right there with my conversation with Alexander Fee of Japan Society. Our guest today is a film curator, projectionist, video editor, and writer. He's currently the film programmer at Japan Society, where he's about to premiere very soon in December the new repertory series, Taisho Roman, Fever Dreams of the Great Rectitude. I'm excited to welcome to the show, Alexander Fee. How are we doing, Alexander? Thanks for having me. Um, doing good, doing good. Yeah. Um, do you go by Alexander or Alex? I go by Alexander. Yeah. Okay, we'll keep it Alexander then. Um, so yeah, so um, so how you been? Um, how are you surviving the holidays so far in New York? Uh, doing good, I'd say. I mean, just got back from the break. So now it's yeah. kind of a marathon into uh, <laughs> our December <laughs> program, in which isn't just Taisho, but we're also closing out uh, the Lincoln Center Yoshida retrospective. So... A lot that. of moving parts. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I think. Yeah, would you say this is usually like the uh, the busiest time of year for you? Um, it really, I it changes. I think we usually have at least like one big fall program, one big spring program. But the busiest time is always going to be Japan Cuts in the summer, where we have like kind of the big contemporary film festival, and we bring in actors and directors, and it's kind of like two weeks of nonstop um, kind of festival. Yeah, <laughs> that's ins, basically. Yeah. Sounds like there's a lot of personalities to kind of navigate. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, we're also kind of like uh, in the thick of award seasons now too, right? So we have a lot of awards, you know, season movies out. Um, we just had the yeah. Gotham Awards earlier this this week. I'm not sure how close how closely you follow that sort of stuff. Um, I yeah, I don't follow. I, I think I see it on film Twitter sometimes, but <laughs> I, I haven't been closely following it. I think the New York Critics Awards were like last night. Or something, something uh, like where, that. Because I know they yeah. announced them today, like the winners. I think today. Scorsese won, and and so yeah. did the new Miyazaki. So mm-hmm. I've been. Yeah. I think I'm I'm on the peripheral. Like I sort of pay attention to it, but um, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, <laughs> I might be a little out of touch. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, being being on the inside, you know, as a programmer, like working within, like you're working in a cinema in a sense at Japan, at yeah. Japan Society. Do you get some time to like ever go out and see a movie or even see like a, a repertory movie? 
Yeah, I I always uh, try to go out and, and see films when I can. And I like, you know, uh, even though I, you know, I'm specifically Japanese film, I, I, <laughs> I that wasn't like initially like my, my main line of interest. So I, I, I go out to see everything. I'm really fascinated. I love particularly, you know, uh, any type of like international world cinema. Um, so I kind of, uh, you know, go for for anything you know i think i went to film forum recently i've been to i don't know i just i go to every movie theater i, I yeah. try, try my very best when i'm not exhausted and uh it's just nice to go out and i still love watching movies nice nice so when did when did you when did this all start for you like when did you first fall in love with movies um that, that's probably yeah when i so I, I want to say I was actually like a bigger music fan for the longest time. But I think, you know, when you're into music or, or, or film, there's there's usually an overlap in, in general. And so I was, um, I think I, I, I started watching movies probably more seriously when I was in, in high school. And I was exposed to, obviously, I think everybody starts out with, you know, maybe their parents show them something or my, my father obviously showed me like the godfather um, but there are also some like deeper cuts i think my my grandfather showed me um nicholas rogue's walkabout on mm. vhs i feel like that was like kind of a formative experience then wow. we have like late night television i remember um seeing blue velvet um on maybe it was ifc channel or maybe um amc i'm not sure and then yeah. rumblefish by um coppola those are all kind of like formative experiences <laughs> in some sense that kind of made me realize that film can be like so much more than yeah. than, than like a blockbuster or something there's there's you know a lot of you know beauty in in, in the way things are expressed in, in, in the visual medium so i i think those are probably like some early things that kind of got me on the road to where I am now um, but you know so many people are enthusiasts for film but you know you generally don't end up doing uh, something like that as a career yeah yeah and um, your career kind of started I guess like most people's in school and you were at yeah. you were doing college in Chicago um, I guess like where, where where how did you get from you know those formative <laughs> films you know those formative films you mentioned like walk about on VHS and watching yeah. Godfather or Dead how do you get from that to you know going to school like moving out of town going to school for for that you know yeah so I I would say I did not go to school for that um, but I was um, it's it's funny I. I, so I went to University of Chicago, and that's kind of Chicago is it's a very different film town than New York. It's much smaller, um, but uh, University of Chicago is kind of well known for its student-run film organization, which is called Doc Films. And Doc Films, which is short for Documentary Film Group, um, was founded, you know, in the 1930s, or, you know, and it's considered the oldest student-run film society. Uh, in North America and, and arguably is the oldest film society in North America as well. Um, but it's completely student run. They run at least the time when I was there, they've, I think, changed post pandemic because it's quite difficult. Mm. Um, but we would screen movies every single night of the the kind of um, like student, you know, we weren't on semesters, we were on quarter system. So every, every night of the quarter. So um and it's not like we're we're showing. I don't know how. Basically, it's it was this 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 place where it was really like a an education for you. Doc films, mm -hmm. you know, you learned how to not only program there. Any student could program, but you also could learn how to project. So I projected mm. thirty five millimeter. That's where I learned how to do that. Projected sixteen millimeter DCP. Um, so and I also learned how to market. Edit, you know, I think that's when I first started editing trailers for series, mm. um, and uh, basically learn how to run a, a cinema by yourself in a sense if you really wanted to. And I, I was wow. really taken with it. So I just found a, a crowd of people there who were all really enthusiastic. And Doc's program is very eclectic, and and it was always kind of a, a mix of really deep art house and 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 as well as doing more kind of 
contemporary, but it, it was always a repertory focus. And I still think it's one of the best places to, to kind of engage with film and, and, mm. and learn, you know, how extensive and how, how, how kind of different perspectives, how many different perspectives you can see. And one of the most exciting parts about it is it's not just one programmer, it's so many different programmers. And I think for me, it's so important to learn from other people's tastes. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I was there like every night, you know, going to doc and, 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 and watching movies. And so that's for me, like probably the most formative experience. Cause I went to school, didn't really know what I was going to do. I majored actually in, in linguistics and I did a minor in cinema studies and, okay. um, I almost minored in Italian as well. So mm. I was always really interested in language. Yeah. I think, um, my, background is that i'm i'm half honduran half american mm-hmm. um, my, my my dad was in the peace corps and he met my mom in honduras and so I, I grew up speaking spanish and so um when i was in college i was really into learning italian and so I, i've always been fascinated by languages and then i think that kind of connected very well with my interest in film and my interest in music so i think when i hit college i felt like i wanted to I really liked Italian movies and I, I felt, oh, I want to uh, watch Italian movies without subtitles. So I'll go learn Italian or I liked Portuguese, you know, Brazilian music uh, from from the 70s and mm-hmm. the 60s. So I wanted to go, you know, learn uh, Brazilian Portuguese. So all of that kind of I, I felt I feel like films, art in general is such a easy way in very to kind of engage with different cultures mm-hmm. and and and. Uh, it, it, it for me has always been very kind of rewarding, very fascinating uh, to do so. So uh, a lot of what I do too in my interest in international film is also this interest in given accessibility. Mm. Um, yeah, and the accessibility comes on like both ends, right? The accessibility to yeah. to, to play international films uh, to U.S. audiences. Yeah. I think yeah, for me, I find it more exciting in that sense because of what we do in rep- repertory curation, or at least what I did at DOC and what I've continued to do at Japan Society is to work predominantly with uh, distributors that, that, you know, films that don't have U.S. distribution, mm. you know? So it's a lot of, of what a film programmer is, is, is it's detective work. Um, yeah. You're tracking down the rights holders. Then sometimes you're tracking down a print source. And then, um, you know, then you have to bring in the print from another country or, or vice versa. Or sometimes you have to find subtitles. It's, it's a whole mess of, of different <laughs> things. So it's, it's very, I, I think the, the thing is you, most people never know how much work it took uh, to put on like a like one film screening. Sometimes it's very easy, very simple. Other times, you know, this movie screening almost didn't happen. Um, but that's not, you know, we're not supposed to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you just see the finished product, which is nice. Yeah, but clearly there's there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and stress and anxiety yeah. to, to kind of just get even, like you said, just yeah. just one screening up. Um, that's really cool. So it sounds like there was a lot of different um, influences in uh, in like your your upbringing, right? Um, yeah, like, I think like, so. Kind of like what your family was kind of sh- exposing you to, uh, the people that you met in college, and uh, and also like your kind of fascination with. Uh, with what other, what kind of, uh, what other people were passionate about. And so you were going to their, their programming series and kind of yeah. like sharing each other's, uh, each other's films yeah. and whatnot. Um, that's really cool. Was there anyone else like, uh, like in the alma mater that, that you had heard of, uh, for that, that, um, that society, I forget, what'd you call oh, it? Oh, Doc Films. Yeah. At Doc, Doc Films. Doc, yeah. Well, Doc Films has a, yeah, I think there's a, the history. So like Dave Kerr was part of Doc. Doc mm. films. Um, a lot of kind of curators have been kind of in, in circles. Um, Elspeth Carroll, who used to be at Film Forum, right. was University of Chicago and programmed a series at Doc. Ed O'Choi, who's now at Museum of the Moving Image, uh, former Doc Films. Um, and I, I'm the whole Chicago, uh, quite a bit of the Chicago Film Society, who are probably one of the greatest proponents of, of watching movies on film and preserving film and preserving um, the art of film projection. Uh, most of them came out of, of, of doc films in some sense. Wow. So I think it's quite scattered across the country, mm-hmm. but the, the doc films kind of cinephile is very, very obsessed with seeing movies on, on 35 millimeter projecting films in their original format. 
yeah. and having a, a very kind of deep uh, knowledge of, <laughs> of film in general, I think. We're, yeah. we're very academic kind of focus in a sense, but um, I think it's the greatest education I got in terms of film. Yeah, I think, um, you know, on the other end, there, there's a lot of, you know, um, just uh, audience members that really, um, you know, they really go for that sort of experience too, looking for celluloid projection, looking for yeah. an original release print versus a newly struck print. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? The, like, it really depends on, on 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 who you're talking to. But I mean, I'm certainly one of those guys that just, yeah, I mean, if there's an original release print, it's like, I, I got to be there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, especially because I always wonder, like, who who was working that projector last, you know, who was working that film reel last and, and who, who shared the, you know, which audience, you know, shares that, that film reel with me. Uh, yeah. I think um, with, with, uh, it's actually really interesting when you're in the projection booth and you get a print in and it's, they've cut off the headers and the tails and you have to reattach everything. That's when you're really mad about the, the last person who, who mm. projected it. So there's, there's, there's all these types of different things that go on in the projection booth as well. A lot of, your projection houses now are, are pretty much archival dual projector systems, but there was the platter house kind of system, which was quite pretty much the norm in, 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 uh, from the nineties onwards, I might be incorrect in the, the timing, but the platter house is where you basically cut off all the headers and tails and put on a giant platter. That's how they still do IMAX 70 mil. Right. Um, but, uh, nowadays that's kind of a no, no, cause they don't really make film, you know, new, new prints anymore. Right. So the, the archival method of doing it is really to have two 35 millimeter projectors. And that's yeah. typically the, 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 the best way you can project it because platter houses can, can stretch um, films much easier because um, well, I think technically they shouldn't, but just the way that people run them, they're not as re- reliable in that sense. So it's much better. And, and most of the, I think, Almost all of the the art houses here in New York are on dual projector systems. Gotcha. So yeah, it really sounds like at Doc Films you were just kind of like um, brought into this incubator that is yeah. like, uh, almost like it's like if you're going to be in this thing and you're going to absorb it, then like there's a really good chance that you're going to find a career, you know, in doing this, whether you're a projectionist or a curator. Um, yeah. or, or, or whatnot. Um, and of course, like you said, there, there's like uh, a long list of alumni that um, like Ido Choi and, and everybody else you mentioned, um, th- these are names that, you know, they ring a bell for me. It's like, I've heard of these people, you know, they're, mm. they're either still working or, or they're like kind of like legends now in, uh, <laughs> in, in this scene. Um, yeah. And I think that's really awesome. I mean, that to me kind of like, um, you know, demystifies, you know, uh, you know, like, like, where people like yourself, you know, kind of get started. And I think that's so cool that, um, that doc films in Chicago is like one of like the, um, you know, the best, you know, well-known incubators for, for this type of work. That's, um, that's really interesting. And, um, and as a projectionist, you get to, you've been able to run films on 16 millimeter and 35 millimeter. Um, when you were done with school, did you know that you wanted to go to New York right away? Um, I think, well, when I was done with school, um, I think I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do as a career path. So I think a lot of people do doc films, but they never actually pursue it as, you know, I, you know, you get all this experience in it, but then you don't pursue it as a career. I think so few people actually pursue film as a career, but, um, I, I became, uh, like program and chair. So basically I booked all of the films for doc films, um, during my senior year. And then I think afterwards when I graduated, I realized the only thing I really knew I was good at was, you know, programming, booking films. So that's when I decided that I kind of wanted to pursue it as a career. Um, nice. Yeah. So I think New York, uh, you know, when I was in Chicago, New York's programming just seemed like the place to be. I think I, I idolized a lot of what was going on in New York. I thought the programming at Metrograph was was amazing. There's so many Hong Kong movies being played. Mm. Um, how are you Lincoln's, hearing about it from like uh, when you were in school in Chicago? Like, how are you hearing about, you know, that New York was the place to be for that sort of stuff? I think when you start booking, you know, and you start realizing how, how, you know, when you become a, a you know, when you start booking films and programming and curating stuff, you start realizing how rare certain things are, or you, you start valuing, you know, 
films differently. You know, I think certain movies I know will always play and play time and time and again. But when you see things that are imported or or, or prints that are are brought in, you know, that that are from an archive, that's when you start seeing how how, um, basically, you know, you start appreciating that that type of programming more in my sense. I, I think nowadays when I go out to see a movie, I, I usually see whether it's like a, a film that I I think might not be shown again. Mm. Um, so I, I value it more than, than like a DCP where I feel like, you know, this will play again. This is yeah. widely available in some sense. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I, once I got, got in tune with that in Chicago, you know, we were running a student film society. We were trying to bring rep program to students. And I felt I really liked the marketing that they were doing at like Metrograph. I loved the program and at, at Lincoln Center, it just felt like New York has such a rich and vibrant community for film. And so I uh, obviously very much looked up to it and felt like that's where I want to be. But it's so hard to say that. And and I think, you know, for me, I was like, oh, I'm going to start out in Chicago and then maybe I can move over to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, saying you want to be a film curator, you want to be a film programmer, you know, that's such a long shot. I mean, it's just, there's no career path for it. You can't go to school and do, you know, learn how to be a film curator and then but, get a job. But you were saying that as you were in doc films, you were already yeah, well, programming, right? So like, you yeah. were kind of like already like on a career track. But you could say that, but I think um, with doc, especially people didn't really realize how much work was involved with it. It was pretty much a full-time job, but mm-hmm. because it's student run, um, people didn't take that experience quite seriously. Got um, it. Um, so I didn't really, I mean, I, I knew what I, I was experienced. I knew what I was doing. I was, I, but it didn't get me any like foot in the door or, you know, it, it just, I was a little, it was a harder than you would think. Um, yeah. but obviously it, it is, I got where I am because of that too. Yeah. And did you have uh, any sort of mentorship there? Um, not, not necessarily at doc. I think I've, uh, I mean, you learn from the previous program in chairs. So it's almost like um, the way that doc works is it's, it's, it's um, everything is passed down to you from the upperclassmen in some sense. So it's this continual um, kind of oral tradition in some sense, like, you know, you learn about things through what they teach you. And so it was actually really disrupted by the pandemic, which is really hard because you, you learn these projection skills from, from yeah. older um folks so i think they've been really thankfully they they seem to be coming back but it's it's quite rough too um because the pandemic kind of threw that into a kind of a whirlwind but um so did you come to new york like fresh out of the pandemic or or more recently i got to new york during the pandemic um so i got this job actually when i was in chicago Um, oh amazing yeah so i think after i graduated i i did you know, I worked at a corporate job. Got, <laughs> it was very <laughs> depressing. I realized I hated it. And I quit that and, and did basically projection work. I, you know, there was a um, exhibit, Andy Warhol exhibit at the Art Institute, and they needed um, 16 millimeter projectionists for that. So I worked there. I did, nice. uh, I, I projected at Facets Cinematech, okay. uh, which is, Facets is, used to be, you know, in a sense, this kind of vibrant, Kind of film culture it's it's not what it was but it it um you know brought in a lot of like you know kieslowski's decalogue kind of first started out at, at, at facets like it used to do these really amazing retrospectives um and so i think it's waned and I, I would say they were like criterion collection for the vhs era in some sense ah, got it um but since the nineties, they, they're not quite what they used to be or that, that degree of influence or okay. reputation has kind of dropped, unfortunately. But when I worked there, I found out they had a huge, you know, in their basement, a bunch of 35 millimeter prints that they just never kind of loaned out or anything. So I started kind of cataloging that. Um, and so I wanted to kind of, you know, I organized like private screenings of some of the prints. And so in Chicago, I really wanted to, start out there. So I, I wanted to, you know, maybe program with the Chicago Film Society or at the Music Box Theater. Those are like kind of, or Gene Siskel, those were kind of the areas that I had in mind. So I never yeah. thought New York was going to come anytime soon. Then of course the pandemic hit and 
you know, your projection is you lose your job. Right. Uh, right. So I was, you know, a year and a half out of graduating and I was doing kind of contract work for election. And then I saw an internship at, at Japan society, uh, pop up. And I just realized like, you know, I want to learn about virtual stream and I want to learn about those components. So I, uh, applied and I had worked with Japan society in the past, uh, because when I was at dot films, we did this big Seijin Suzuki program. Um, oh. And we imported a lot of prints from Japan. And so that was really my foot in the door there is because I, yeah. I had organized this program that was curated by a good friend of mine, Will Carroll, who was a PhD student at UChicago at the time. Um, so so you so, were making connections to New York as you were, you know, yeah, like creating yeah. a creating a reputation for yourself. Like, Well, I don't think Chicago. it was a reputation. You were like a student, you know, <laughs> just emailing people. Yeah. But I, did, I had worked with... Uh, I had imported some prints that would screen at Japan society. So that's how I kind of first got in tune with Japan society. And what I liked about Japan society when I kind of first started paying attention was that the programming, and, and this is what I've hoped to continue is that we don't do traditional Japanese film programming in the sense that we're not doing just Ozu and Mizuguchi. Yeah. We're doing much deeper cuts. We're doing, mm-hmm. you know, we have the ability to do represent Japanese film that isn't what's going to play at film forum that that that's something that you might not see again i i think that's part of the mission is that uh we have you know these connections for japan we have a much deeper knowledge in that sense and so yeah so one of the big things that really attracted i saw they did an 80s kadokawa series they did nobuhiko obayashi you know these kind of yeah uh big filmmakers that i think uh when you think of of japanese film it's still kind of people's perception or at least if you you are an art house or kind of cinephile it's still very much set in the 1950s and it hasn't changed for 50 70 years um yeah it's kind of like what's been spoon fed to us you know from the criterion collection yeah which is great and i I think criterion is such a wonderful starting point right absolutely um, absolutely but like um, you said there's there, there needs to be like like you said some deeper cuts you need me to kind of yeah s- s- spread the horizon yeah exactly and i think you know i started off with criterion but you know when you're recurating film you know especially at, at a place like japan society um it feels like you have the ability to go farther and you want to expand people's horizons in that sense absolutely and so and yeah go ahead i was gonna, I was gonna ask um I saw that you you were doing some projecting work at the Anthology Film Archives, oh, yeah. Tribeca Film Festival. Um, was that before you had gotten into Japan Society, or were you kind of doing that simultaneously? I was doing it simultaneously. Okay, <laughs> nice. I, wanted, I think for me, it's uh, you know, there's there's um, you know, I wanted to kind of project, and I think it's such an important skill to have and, and to continue. Um, but I um, I'm not projecting currently i think (laughs) i have too much on my plate but it's it's i think there's not a lot of programmers you'll find who who do projection as well so yeah it's so important it's so important to know you know the technical aspects of it and most programmers do understand you know uh, with with the way that you have to project prints when you're working with archives and such Uh, but for me it's it's fundamentally i just have I've wanted to feel that like if if I really had to, I could, you know, run the entire show myself. Um, yeah, I could really sell the cool. tickets, uh, introduce the film and project it if need be and yeah, market in- it. Introduce the show. I'm like, yeah. guys, give me five minutes and I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll get the yeah. show going. Um, um, yeah, I think you, that kind of, um, you know, you present yourself as like a, a, a triple threat in a sense. You know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a programmer who can project and also you're editing, you know, the trailers for your own yeah. series. Um, I was just fawning after your, your Vimeo page because oh, well, yeah. all, all of your, the trailers that you've done at um, Japan society are, they're like, they're excellent. Oh my God. Oh, they're, they're, they're so like classy. You know what I mean? Like, dang. Yeah. And you know, like, a, I don't think I really started to admire um, trailers and promos for, uh, you know, repertory series until um, I was introduced to Alamo Draft House, and I started to mm. see like some of their, uh, you know, p- promotional things like in the pre-roll. Um, yeah. 
and I don't know, it, that was years ago. And, um, but now it's kind of like whenever I, I think I saw recently, um, the, uh, golden age, Korean, Korea's golden age at film and yeah. center, they had a really gorgeous one too, their, their trailer. Um, and it's just something that is kind of like, um, I don't know. It's like a special treat if, um, if the film series, um, you know, has, uh, has that added, uh, trailer for it. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, and- I love doing it. Yeah. I know. I, I totally understand. I, for me, it wasn't Alamo, but it was, um, Austin film society that kind of changed my hmm. view on trailers. Okay. Um, so what, what, uh, what did you see from them? Well, I took a lot from them <laughs> is what <laughs> I'll say. If, if you should, um, you know, go on, on YouTube and you can see their trailers. Um, I think just, it, it's kind of modernizing, uh, uh, you know, a more modern edit in style. Cause I think you see a lot of older movies that don't have very yes. appealing trailers and that's yeah. not something that really sells the movie. And so the way I've kind of, you know, you talk to any trailer editor, there's a philosophy behind it, but I felt that a trailer should be a mood piece. It mm-hmm. should kind of elicit, um, the atmosphere of the film. It shouldn't give too much away. Um, but it is very much, its own piece of art in some sense. Um, and there's so much, yeah, there's a lot of work to it, but I think when I work on a film series, particularly the repertory ones, I, I am so invested already with curating with all of those aspects that I want to make a trailer that really kind of, you know, not sells it, but makes someone excited to see this program because so much of what we do is not really, you know, and particularly in Japan society, this isn't going to be, uh, a, a filmmaker that someone might be aware of, but I want them to not know that, well, you know, they might not know who this person is, but I want them to be excited about it. So I think, you know, in the spring we did Shinji Somai and, and that was a trailer that I, I, um, I took a long time to make. Um, mm. But uh, I think it's, it's a way to, to make people, uh, you know, you know, it, it piques their interest in some way. And, and, I mean, and I, I think it does yeah. more than, I think it does more than that, you know, okay, um, yeah. uh, of the ones that I've seen of yours. Well, um, I'm, I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does a lot more than just the, you know, general, you know, advertise, you know, your, your yeah. series. I actually, um, more than anything, I, I really, f- I could really feel your, um, excitement and, and passion and love mm-hmm. for the program that you're programming. Um, in that it's like a minute and a half or shorter, you know, the trailer. And it's like, I, I can really get a sense of that. And maybe that's because I have experience as a video editor too. And, yeah. you know, I, I learned how to video edit on iMovie um, by making, well, by yeah. making fan trailers. You know what I mean? Like yeah. back, I mean, back when um, iTunes used to let you download a trailer for a, a new movie, I would just download the trailers and chop them up. Right. And that's how I would teach myself how to, how to video edit. So when I see uh, when I see trailers like yours, it kind of transports me back to a time when I would, um, you know, I would passionately, you know, really yeah. try to make this, you know, this like love letter to to the movie that, uh, you know, I want to make a trailer for. Yeah, um, I, I would say that accurate. A love letter is, is a really great way of describing what, what what it's supposed to be or how the way I approach it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, triple threat. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, you, you've you've had uh, quite a journey. Um, I think you were. Uh, raised in Ohio, school in Chicago, and now you're in New York. Um, yeah. So I guess what, for, for you, um, how are you feeling so far in New York City? How's, how's, how's New York treating you? Yeah, I mean, I think New York, it took a, um, a fair bit of adjustment, I would say. I'm, I would say I'm much more Midwestern still, and <laughs> I like how laid back and mellow Chicago is mm-hmm. compared to New York, which is very, was overwhelming, especially that first year. Um, but now yeah. I've, I've kind of, I like I like it. I, <laughs> there's so much to explore, and I think obviously the film scene has so much to offer. Yeah, and there's just nothing quite like it in the country, or maybe even in, in you know in the world. <laughs> the I, world. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's yeah. it's definitely one, if not the best, kind of repertory film scene. Um, yeah, man. So. Um, you know, I when I was a teenager, I um that's when I kind of learned about repertory you know i that's when i started to kind of um discover that there were you know cinemas other than regal and amc right yeah. and and they were doing something that was very um grassroots you know what i mean and it's something that really felt like a love letter like you know and that's kind of why i named the show marquee mixtape because 
you know, film, film programmers and curators and everybody that has a hand in putting a, you know, on a film series, it's that that's like their, that's their mixtape on the marquee. And a, and a mixtape is made with love too. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if you ever made a mix CD, uh, a Spotify playlist or a mixtape, you know, um, that's, you know, it, there's a there's a certain sense of a uh, of love and passion that goes into that because you're trying to t- you're trying to say something. There's a theme to it, right? Yeah. Um. And um. And yeah. So like I was saying, you know, I I grew up in L.A. And so I, I thought, you know, for me, like that that was incredible to like you know discover all of these um revival houses and and repertory you know cinemas and whatnot. Uh, but when I came to New York, and and I've been in New York ten years now, um. I'm just like, man, nothing comes close to this place, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, and I'm still, uh, I'm still, you know, discovering new places. And, um, that's why this project is so much fun for me because I get to, um, it's an excuse for me to kind of, you know, um, I don't know, it kind of feel like a, like a journalist or something. Like I, I'm like going to go find something new that I've never, never been to before. Um, I'm going to go explore a borough that I've never, you know, explored deep enough just to go find like, let's say United palace in Washington Heights. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it's just a really fun way to kind of, um, discover your city. That's how I discovered LA, you know, as an adult, you know, having a car for the first time, my anchor points were, well, where are the cinemas I've never been to, you know? And that's kind of, it's so funny how life is cyclical. It's like, I'm doing that again in New York you know yeah um so yeah that's that's really cool i'm 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 glad new york's treating you right yeah i mean um, it's a it's a much better ohio didn't have a repertory culture whatsoever <laughs> so that's when my eyes opened and when i was in chicago and then um, that's when i realized oh wow you can do this you know? yeah and you know last year i went to your i went to your music box for the first time and um man i loved it that is a beautiful cinema it's beautiful yeah oh my it's god a- old school kind of movie house movie palace yeah it's gorgeous i got to see um uh, del toro's uh pinocchio on 35 Mm -hmm. there oh it was so nice um all right so um i want to segue now to your upcoming series uh taisho roman uh fever dreams of the great rectitude um this is a the december repertory series of japan society uh, and it brings a selection of six films all of them set during this flourishing epoch by some of Japan's most radical directors. Can you tell us more about your series? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I think the Taisho, I mean, this goes back to kind of what we do at Japan Society. Um, the kind of idea of the Taisho series probably started uh, when we were doing, we did a Seiji and Suzuki um, series earlier this year. And back in February, they were all 35 millimeter imports. and uh, we screened Kagerosa, which is one of Suzuki's um, Taisho trilogy or the mm. Taisho Roman films. Um, and he did these three very kind of like formerly audacious, kind of just completely bizarre, but amazing movies. Um, and for me, I think Suzuki, everybody knows Suzuki for Branded to Kill and, and, and for, uh, you know, his Nikatsu kind of uh nonsensical is, is the way that it's been described but it's not really you know the right narrative in some sense films but i i've always found his 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 posts kind of his independent works to be far more interesting far more fascinating and far more kind of unrestrained in some sense and when we screened kagaroza and is our opening night title and i chose that to open the series because i felt like that's the right move instead of doing tokyo drifter as the opening night <laughs> um it kind of got me thinking. Um, I kind of, you know, my first rep ster- series I ever did at Doc Films was on body horror. And I've always had, mm. I, I like genre a lot. And um, I think when you look at Japanese horror in a sense, so this series is, uh, you know, ostensibly it is a horror series to a degree. Um, but the approach of it is very kind of literary in some sense. Um, um, so I wanted to do a program that kind of tied together a few movies that I felt like had a connection and Taisho was kind of the connection. Um, so Dagra Megra is a movie that I've always felt is quite fascinating. Um, and it's by Toshio Matsumoto. Everybody, I think people are quite exposed now to Funeral Parade of Roses, but he only made four feature length films and the rest of them are uh, his filmography or, or experimental works. 
in shorts. Mm. Um, so it feels like, you know, this film, which is, is, is quite fascinating to me, um, it has never really been talked about in, in Western um, circles or academic, or, well, maybe in academic ones, very small academic ones, people who <laughs> like Japanese film, but not, not widely. People only really talk about one of his movies. And you see that quite, quite often with, with Japanese filmmakers too. Obayashi, people only talk about Haosu. Juzo Atami, people only talk about Tampopo. And a part of it is, is distribution, accessibility. Um, so I really wanted to screen Dagra Magra. I was like, I, I want to do Zaguner Weissen, the first of, 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 of Suzuki's Taisho trilogy. Um, and there's also Tokyo, The Last Megalopolis. Now, of of these um of the yeah. six of the six movies that you have uh, in this yeah. series, are they all set during the Taisho era? So yeah, they're all set. I think Zaguner Weissen kind of flirts. It, it goes a little beyond that, but like early Showa is very much continuing uh, a lot of the trends in Taisho, and then I think Tokyo: The Last Megalopolis also goes a little bit beyond it and goes into early Showa. So Taisho is 1912 to 1926. And it's, it's, it's Emperor Taisho. So it's the reign of that one emperor. Um, and so it, it's a very fascinating era in a sense. And yeah, can, maybe is, you could tell the listeners a little more about it in case in case this is completely going over there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, know, when I was doing the research, I was like, God damn. <laughs> I was like, this well, is I a, th- a history lesson. <laughs> I think that's part of it too, why I took the approach. Because I think not a lot of people are quite aware of Taisho. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Edo era maybe um, and Showa. And maybe they're not, people aren't quite as in tune with the, the names, but Showa is mostly like from from you know 1923 or 24 until I want to say early 2000s. I might be completely wrong, but you know, especially Showa is, is a lot of people think of Showa as, as you know World War II era and then right. you know post war as well because um, it was so militaristic. To... Yeah, so Showa has that that militaristic quality to it, um, and then. You know, Taisho is right in the middle, um, be- before before Showa and after Meiji, and it's just a small period of time where there was like this kind of influx of Western influence. You have you know these new kind of ideas, new technologies, um, and and kind of a liberal period. This idea of democracy and 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 it also in terms of literature, you have writers like Junichiro Tanazaki, um, but. There's, there's so much. It's like a, a flourish in arts culture. But then at the very end of Taisho, you know, um, and Taisho also had this decadence to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we describe it as kind of a bell epoque for, mm-hmm. for um, Japan. It was, you know, the borders were open. There's this uh, people dressing more in Western fashion, uh, bringing in those types of ideas and um, a more kind of liberated uh, way of thinking in terms of sexuality as well. Um, and it's been just kind of a fascinating era for, I think it's fascinating, but also filmmakers, hence, hence the series, because we have Seijin Suzuki, we have Suji Teriyama, Jisoji, all doing kind of interesting uh, depictions of Taisho, in a sense. Yeah, based um, on that, the trailer you made, I mean, I, I almost didn't expect it to be so, I didn't expect it to feel so genre heavy, like, especially with the, those, yeah. hor- those horror vibes and um, yeah, almost like abstract and uh, surreal. Yeah, and it's though the whole series is very surreal, and it also comes down to when I was saying horror. I think when people think of Japanese horror, they think very much nineteen like fifties, sixties Korinenko, Quiet On, or they think nineties J horror with Kiyoshi Kurosawa and Ringu. Right. Um, and so for me, this was also a nice way to present something outside of that. You know, I yeah, think- I love that. I love that. I think this is uh, totally going to expand horizons. I mean, it already. Yeah, I'm so excited for this series. Just, you know, <laughs> just reading. Um, you know, like uh, on the website on the Japan Society website, just just reading about it in that one paragraph and having the the trailer to go with it. It's like there's a lot there that um, I've never seen. And uh, yeah. for someone like me who enjoys genre so much. Um, this, the, the, 
the cinematic language that speaking my language, you know? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's, um, it's, and like I said, it's in a literary art horror series would be the best way to describe it because <laughs> all of these are based on kind of famous works in some sense or not necessarily works from the Taisho period, but ones that are set in the Taisho period. So there's, um, I think horrors of Malford men, it's, it's Edo Gawa Rampo who, who wrote that. He's very famous for Ero Guru, erotic grotesque. And right. uh, his name is actually, it's Edgar Allan Poe, but pronounced in a Japanese style. So it's Edogawa oh. Rampo. And he's so, one of those very, very famous authors. So I, another idea here, and I think we talked a little bit about language. And, and um, for me, a lot of these works are untranslated, you know. Um, and so this is a way to bring, let Americans or, or Western audiences engage with literature that that they don't have access to or they can't have access to yeah yeah well what are some um other like uh movements from different parts of the world that taisho could be compared to well you mean the taisho period or yeah like you know what i mean was there anything similarly happening in the world maybe at the same time or 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 a different yeah i mean like roaring 20s and to some extent and and then i mentioned belle epoque in france which was a little earlier actually Mm -hmm. but the the climate where there's there's this you know abundance of literature of of art of of music of of where where there's almost this this small kind of uh renaissance in some sense yeah Um, i don't know i'm not (laughs) particularly (laughs) historically uh, well, right. As I, I think I you answered, be, but yeah, I think you answered the question though. So, I mean, <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Um, and I'm wondering, um, why did you feel like now was the time to, to highlight, you know, Taisho? So, I mean, I think any time is a good time, but mm-hmm. also there is, um, you know, in terms of right now, we're almost like a hundred years since the end of Taisho, mm-hmm. actually a hundred years ago. in I think October was the great, uh, Kanto earthquake which is oh, right. like one of the big kind of signifiers of more of a kind of symbolic end of Taisho. Right, because right. after that, um, there was the, the Kanto massacre, there was the, uh, a lot of political violence, and then kind of rise of militarism, uh, which I might have said in the description. Uh, I, one, one, one film to actually note is, because uh, the Lincoln Center Yoshida retrospective is happening, Eros Plus Massacre, is set that's a taisho period film and that's opening on um this friday but i'm not sure when this is going to be released (laughs) but that that is a really fascinating uh film that is set in one of it kind of uh uh it's yoshida doing his interpretation of one of the kind of famous incidents that happened towards the end of taisho Mm. Um, and this was like a, a violent incident right Yes, very political. Um, It's uh, based on, uh, so basically, Noe Ito, who was this very feminist anarchist, um, who I think they had these these kind of ideologies of free love. Um, She was killed by by a a military, uh, I mean, someone basically right after the Great Kanto earthquake, they they killed her without trial and and her lover. and, And it's, um, it's called the Amakasu incident, and it's, it's quite quite famous in Japan. But there's so many like historical things that the series also brings. I think, or now that we're talking about Eros Plus Massacre, but I think Japanese history is is, is remarkably fascinating, and and so it's not. Uh, this is a chance as well to engage with the historical period, mm. um, which is fun. You know, it's yeah. it's fun because I think people don't usually have a chance to do that. So there's so many different angles that you can approach the series with. Uh, will there be any celluloid projection in Taisho Roman? Yeah, so there are there are two prints. Um, so Dagra Megra, uh, which is screened twice, once on December um, 9th and once on December 15th, I believe. That is going to be on 35. That's, you know, that is a print from the National Film Archive of Japan. So usually mm. when we say imported print, you know, that's a really you know, special opportunity to watch yeah. something because it's very, it's very expensive to bring a print in from Japan. Um, this print and, and one of the things that I'm also very, you know, when I, this always goes back to language and accessibility, but 
this print doesn't have English subtitles on it. So what we're going to do is we're going to soft title, uh, which means we have someone there as the movie is playing, as, as the print is being projected, advancing subtitles as, as she hears the wow. words be said. Um, I've, so never, a, I've never heard of that. Yeah, very. I, I would say New York is the place where you'll see it happen the most. Whoa. But it's not. So these are live English subtitles. And the print, from what I've heard, is is like uh, beautiful. Like it's barely been shown. Oh my um, gosh! Since the eighties. So this so is like this is an original release print. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I think a lot you'll see this in Japan too. Is that a lot of films? It's, it's not a lot of films are restored in the same way that like the, the American film industry is, and particularly with independent film. Um, but even American independent film, a lot of it's not restored. So this is an independent film from the nineteen eighties. And there aren't any, um, I think there actually is a Blu-ray in Japan, but we wanted to screen it, or I wanted to, I felt like it's very important to screen on 35. And yeah. you always want to balance and see which one is worth important uh, when you can. Yeah. So this one I felt like was particularly special. special. So, yeah, extra special. It's one, it's imported. Uh, yeah. And uh, two, it's uh, you know, obviously it's 35 millimeter. And, and three, you're going to have live uh, English captions. English, yeah. That's a... Uh, Wow, it, that's it's a amazing. technical feat, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's um for me that that's what makes you know, I guess seeing celluloid projection that's that's what makes it so special for me is that you really get a sense of you're watching a performance even if you don't see the performers. You know, these yeah. people are actually performing in that projection booth. There's an extra bonus of this person doing the live subtitles. Um, yeah, that's right. that makes it really special and um. Yeah, I'm, I mean, <laughs> this should really draw, you know, a, a lot of different kinds of, of um, you know, film lovers, you know, to, to, to the screenings. I'm really excited. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there's a, a lot of, there's a lot of work that goes into it, but I think it's it's just rewarding to to be able to present something like this to to an audience, to to let people be exposed to this film. And it doesn't really matter to me if, if, if like, as as long as one person comes out of that screen and says, wow, that was great. You know, yeah. um, that's the hope, you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah, what you yeah. want. And I think yeah. that's, what's so special about for me, like programming for it, for a cinema is, is so much more um, rewarding in that sense than like streaming something, which was something we had to deal with during the pandemic, but it's so great to be back in the cinemas. And I think it's so great to see a lot of really young Mm -hmm. uh, faces as well um, coming to these screenings and wanting to see films that are more obscure and wanting to see films on film. Yeah, I really hope this um, this this newfound energy um, really sticks. You know, because um, it is yeah. really nice to see a, a lot of young people and just different types of audiences uh, showing up for for screenings like this. You know, um, so is that the only cellular projection you have? No. So we have, uh, th there's one more and that would be, um, brass labyrinth. Uh, that's also being on imported on, on 35 millimeter. It's a Teriyama short. Uh, it's only 40 minutes. So you mm -hmm. can see it by itself, um, on December 9th for uh, like a discounted rate. Um, or you can see it as a double feature with a page of madness, which oh. should be a, a really interesting time. Um, <laughs> So Page of Madness is actually not that that'll be DCP, but that's that's the one film in the series that's actually from the Taisho period. Right. Um, so I, I guess I did decide to throw in something that wasn't <laughs> Taisho romanticization or Roman yeah. uh, in the sense that it was a romanticization of the Taisho period, but something actually from it. But it should be a very uh, fascinating double feature. <laughs> but I think it's a, you know, if you haven't seen Teriyama, he's one of the great filmmakers who is not exposed to to uh, a lot of, you know, it seems like the the filmmaker that people would want to see or, or you'd expect with Criterion, but there's so many issues with the rights and stuff mm -hmm. that a lot of his films are very, very difficult to play or very expensive to play. Got so it. this is one of his films that um, it, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a great indicator of, of, of what he's all about. Um, Got it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, listeners of this show uh, might recall in the last episode, we got to speak with uh, a couple of live score artists who did a page of madness at the Brooklyn horror film festival last month. Yeah. Um, so I got to see that film and yeah, it was, it was something, it was special, man. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was truly a page of madness. I mean, there's, there's a yeah. lot of crazy stuff going in there, but it really, um, 
I'm really seeing the movie in a new light already, just learning a little more about the era that that movie is from. That movie is literally from the tail end of Taisho. Yeah. You know, so um, your series hasn't even come out yet. Just talking to you right now has already like elevated this movie I saw like <laughs> a month ago. So that's really, really exciting. Um, are there going to be any uh, 4K restorations in this series? Yeah, so there, there is one. Um, there's Zigurner Weizen, which is the Seijin Suzuki film. Um, so it's his first um, film he made after, uh, but not his first film he made after. So he was blacklisted for about 10 years um, after being fired from Nikatsu. And then he made this movie called A Tale of Sorrow and Sadness, which we played uh, back in February, which is his comeback film. And it was a commercial failure. And then he did Sigurner Weissen, which is just, you know, him doing this very weird, bizarre film that the the nobody would book. It was independently produced. And so the producer decided to make, you know, outside of the Tokyo Dome, he made, put this inflatable uh, screen and projected it. And it, it, it became a hit. And then everybody booked it. And it was just this incredible success story where this guy couldn't get it booked anywhere. And then finally people were just crowds came for it. And it became, I, I think it's overshadowed by Kagamusha, which came out that same year, but it's arguably a better film, but you know, that's my opinion. Um, yeah. and it's just as, as it's just a, a fascinating movie. And it was kind of indicated that the kind of resurgence revival of, of Suzuki's career. So that's going to be played in a new 4K restoration. The restoration was just completed this year. It's making the rounds in Japan. And so we're doing the first time outside of Japan. Um, we're, we're screening the, this restoration. So it'll be very Oh, so this is, the, this is the New York premiere of the new 4K restoration. Uh, international premiere. So first time outside of Japan. So it's, right. it's yeah, so that's, more than just New York. Oh, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it took me a second. I was like, uh, I just said that. <laughs> yeah, no, but you're, you're right. This is, that's even more than just a New York premiere. This is the first time outside of Japan. It's the international yeah. premiere of exactly. the 4K restoration. Wow. And um, there's a lot going on in this series. This this is this is really really exciting. <laughs> um, and um, you know, just real quickly, I'm I'm just so curious, like how you know, like the the marketing and like the marketing machine works for. Uh, a repertory series like Taisho Roman. Um, can you kind of like boil that down for us? Like, like is, is it like a months, like six to 12 months in advance sort of thing? Or, you know, like, I'm so curious, like who is working on the graphic design for the website? Because a lot of the artwork <laughs> that I see for Taisho Roman looks so good. And then obviously we know who the person is behind the trailer, which just adds so much, you know, extra flavor to, um, to the excitement. But uh, but yeah, I'm just so curious how how marketing for a repertory series like this works. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, a mix of many things. We're not programming a year in advance. You know, I think part of it is too that we're slowly coming back. Uh, you know, from COVID, so I, everything's been so compressed timeline wise. So um, there's only two people in the film department. Um, there's there's me, and then there's a director of film. Uh, Peter Tatara. And so we, um, you know, it's such a small department, uh, but we basically work with our marketing department to kind of come up with materials um, and, and ideas. And for me, I, I think one of my goals too, is that we can be kind of not just, you know, uh, a movie theater in, in the sense that we, you know, we're just showing movies, but we can be a resource. Um, that So one of the things that we haven't really announced yet is that we're going to have for Dogra Megra, um, the two screenings will have a, a zine printed for it where I, I we interviewed the um, the producer of the film. And so it, it'll be a really neat way to kind I of engage that. with the film. Yeah, I love um, that. You know, w w once you start to add like a physical touch to um, going, I mean, you're already getting that when you go see something, especially like a celluloid yeah. screening. But to have a zine, oh, that's so, yeah. so awesome. I love that idea. So for me, a lot of it is like trying to find a new ways to to market films. I think, um, you know, make it an experience that 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 is special in some sense. But um, I run a lot of the social media kind of uh, strategy in, in some sense. So if you see the JS film uh, Twitter or Instagram, that that's me. 
<laughs> wow. Uh, well, congrats. You're killing yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we like to kind of bring up stuff scanned from our archives, I think, or, um, you know, post movie posters, um, like original B2 posters, um, mm-hmm. so people can see the designs. If you come to Dagromegra, you'll see I'll have my B2 poster of Dagromegra out. I think I'll have my B2 poster of Tokyo The Last Megalopolis out as well when, when that that's screened. So you get to see that as well. It's it's I think film is such an intersection where it's not just film. There's 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 so much it's so visual, you know, and there's so much you can do with it when you come to market when it comes to marketing. Um, yeah. And so I think there's so many ways of making creative art designs uh, when you do that. And so it's always each series has its own own kind of different. I don't want to say identity because that feels very marketing mm. in, in some sense, but it has it, it's you, you can construct a, a different. Yeah, I guess identity to it. Um, <laughs> that's very unique to that. And a lot of the design we do is in-house. So, um, yeah, it's all a great team. That That's we awesome. work with, yeah. yeah. You you're you're lucky. You have you have a really great team over there. Yeah. Um, my I have one last question for you, Alexander. Sure. Um, you know, it sounds like you know you were in the right place at the right time. You know, being in Chicago, getting into this incubator, and you understood the importance of kind of um not just being a a great programmer, but also like you know going the extra mile and uh, really wanting to understand the practice of you know, projecting, for example. Um, so I'll use that example of, of projecting. Um, what, what do you think needs to happen next to kind of um, generate, um, I guess, more curiosity and interest to kind of keep something like projection, um, you know, keep it alive, keep it going for, for the next generation? Um, and, and maybe that could be applied to anything else, you know, whether that's programming or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, it's it's really like art houses, like, you know, that are keeping it alive. You know, the tradition of, of projection is, it's, it's, it is a fade in art. And so, um, you know, how do you get people excited about it? And it's, I mean, right now, it's really nice to see younger audiences. But I think for me, it's, how do you, I've always thought, how do you get younger audiences to come to your screenings? That kind of approach where I do want people who are in film school who are people who are in college to to come to appreciate it. And I think in a place like New York, it can still exist. Um, but it's really, you know, when I, I say I'm from Ohio, like there's no way film will go back to Ohio or not Ohio. Cleveland is great. And then there's Columbus, but not Cincinnati, which is where I'm from. <laughs> um, but it's it's so, you know, it's it's preserving that art. And so it's 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 very much, I don't have an answer for you. I mean, mm. I think you have directors like Tarantino and Christopher Nolan really fighting for film, but um, there's so much more to it because presentation um, is, is so important. And so you can, you can see a really badly projected show too. So um, true. It's very true. I think, yeah, <laughs> there's, I think there's so many levels to this, but you know, the hope is that that people at institutions that, you know, or, you know, you have to rely and hope that that people see the appreciation for it. And I know there was a New York Times article about it, like last um, last year about people going out to see film prints. And then we have mm. to sometimes when I talk to people in Japan, I tell them, you know, it's really important to show this on film. Yeah. Um, you see, sometimes older filmmakers might say, no, I want you to show the digital copy. And it's also a fight with them. Yeah. Uh, too, where, you know, how do you tell someone that you think it, it's more important to show it on, on film right, than right. like this cleaned up DCP that, you know, is not gonna be as special in some sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, know. We, we might not have, we might not have the answer. It's, it's a big question, right? And we, is, we, yeah. we might not have the answer to it today, but I do think that all of us, you know, not just not just people like you that are, you know, really doing the work, you know, um, as a programmer at Japan Society, for example, but also as you know, just the audiences out there that that want to continue to preserve this and to continue to enjoy it, you know, um, I think it's really going to take all of us to kind of um, figure out what the solution yeah. is going to be. I mean, um, yeah, I think one answer is support <laughs> any film screenings you go to. Go go out 
pay pay for a ticket you know yeah. go you see something that says imported print definitely oh, support yeah. those yeah, um, or, but, or, or live subtitles <laughs> yeah live subtitles yeah yeah so we Just can know. continue doing that you know yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly well uh taisho roman is fever dreams of the great rectitude is going to be happening at japan society from december 9th through december 16th we're going to do a follow-up episode uh just me and and, and someone else uh, you'll hear about later uh reacting to uh, a couple of the the screenings that we attend there uh alexander fee thank you so much again for for joining us today i, I really appreciate you being here and i really admire the, the work that you do thanks so much i had a blast Well, I do hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. I'm really proud of the programming work that Alexander's doing at Japan Society. And I hope you're as excited as I am to check out his upcoming film series. It includes imported 35mm prints with live subtitles. That still blows my mind. I can't wait to see that. And then, of course, an international premiere of a 4K restoration. It's definitely going to be a feast for the eyes for genre fans. It's going to be my first time visiting Japan Society, so I'm really excited to get the word out. Remember, we'll be back with part two of this episode on December 16, when the film series of Japan Society comes to a close. Me and a special guest will be sharing our reactions to the film series. Taisho Roman, Fever Dreams of the Great Rectitude, is playing at Japan Society from December 9th through December 16th. I hope to see you there, and until then, happy holidays, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>